So last week I, I spoke on uh, the difference between knowing about God uh, and knowing God intimately. Uh, and that is a truth that my mom rubbed into my head since I was young and still to this day. Um, but the reason I did that is because I want to make sure that when we talk about God's attributes that we're not just talking about them factually, um, but we are talking about them intimately because they do mean something to us uh, personally, deeply. Um, so the, the verse that I want to uh, open with when talking about God's omnipotence, God's all-powerful nature, is Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. It says, O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and earth by your great power. Nothing is too hard for you. So Avam Plantinga, he is one of the most well-known and respected Christian philosophers, living Christian philosophers. And when talking about God's omnipotence, so God's all-encompassing power, which is the literal meaning of that really ugly Latin word, he said, an omnipotent God is also a weak God. And it, that just sounds strange to me. I mean, it's kind of like saying that I am the strongest man in the world except for when I'm not. Or maybe you think of that, that meatloaf song that says, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that then no, 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 you wouldn't. You wouldn't do anything for love because apparently there's something that you wouldn't do. But Alvin Plantig is a, is a philosopher, and a, and a rather good one, actually, and so he thought this one through. And what he argues is that God can't do intrinsically impossible things. These aren't just normal impossible things like you know, eating the entire moon or jumping to the sun, because we can, we can at least think of circumstances where that would be possible. Like if we lived in a world where the moon was a lot closer and a lot smaller and made of tofu, we could do that. Or, or if we could endure incredibly hot temperatures and gravity was so weak that we could jump to distant stars, we could, we could create circumstances where that'd be possible. So we can sort of conceive of ways that could happen. But that's not what logically impossible means or intrinsically impossible. Those are things that we can't even conceive. We can't even get it to work in any way in our minds. It would be uh, the, the philosophers go to is a circle square. You can't have a circled square because a circle, by definition, has no sides, and a square, by definition, has four. So they, they deny each other. And that's sort of helpful when dealing with those weird questions that people ask sometimes, like, so, can God create a rock so heavy that even he can't lift it? And the reason they ask that is because they think if you say, well, no, then they're like, gotcha, then he's not omnipotent. But it's literally like, like saying that, can a guy or a God that can lift literally anything, always, period, can, he should be able to create something that he can't lift. It, it, they just deny each other. It, it doesn't work in our brains. It's intrinsically impossible. But 
I'll tell you what this philosophy makes me feel like sometimes. I mean, what the philosophers are doing. It, so my dad does this thing sometimes. I don't know if any of you have experienced it. He did it to me, especially when I was younger. No matter how old you are, he'll do this thing where he talks to you like you're a 48-year-old scholar of the English language, and you've written a 500-page dissertation on the dictionary. So there's things that I couldn't watch or do when I was younger, and I'd go up to my dad and say, you know, Dad, you know, why can't I watch that show? Easy question, right? Well, son, that particular program is pervaded with a pedantic and pervasively pernicious, proliferating propaganda, ultimately culminating and propagating in a pugnaciously puerile protoplasmic pile of poo-poo. And I'm like, Dad, I'm five years old. I can't even make my own bowl of cereal. I didn't understand a word you just said, except for poo-poo, and that part was funny. Right? But that's what these philosophers are doing. They're expending so much mental power to figure out whether or not God can make the sum of two plus two equal something other than four, right? Or whether he can make married bachelors. But we can, we can just look at the Bible and see what God is doing with his power. What kind of power does God have? So when we look at the Bible, we see that God can speak things into existence. He spoke the universe into existence out of literally nothing at all. Uh, Genesis 1.1 says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It later says that God says, let there be light, and bam, there's light. Uh, he can make people out of dust. He can breathe into them life. And in Matthew it says that if he wanted to, he could make children out of stones. God made a virgin woman pregnant. He speaks through fire and through whispers, through prophets and through donkeys. And sometimes he just lets his voice echo throughout the entire earth. In Deuteronomy 32, 39, it says that he is the one with power over life and death. He struck Ananias dead for a lie and he rose Lazarus up for his own glory. He died for sin, only to conquer it, to say, no, death, you ain't got nothing on me. It's to steal that from a movie. No power can ultimately thwart his purpose. No luck, no chance, nor fate. Nothing can stop him, nothing. So if God has power over life and death and sin, every bird in the sky, every hair on our head, if he has the power to stop the wind and calm the waves, if he controls literally everything in the entire universe, no natural catastrophe could thwart whatever he wants to do, then what is left? What's left that even matters? Unless there's this really important theological, salvific issue that hinges on the question of whether or not God can microwave a burrito that even he can't eat, then I think we're okay 
to just let the philosophers talk about the more esoteric questions. Because everything the Bible says about God's power is really everything that we need to know. And so what's left? What do we want to talk about when it comes to God's power? I think there are at least three things that are important to us. I don't think it's necessarily important to know whether or not God can make two plus two equal five. But I do think these three points are important. Number one is that God demonstrates power through marvelous acts. My second is going to be that God demonstrates power in our weakness. And third, that God demonstrates power through salvation. So the first point that God demonstrates power through wondrous acts is what we probably typically think of when we think of God's power. You know, we look at the stars and we just marvel at what power must belie the creation of that. We can walk along the beach and see the water and its ultimate vastness and just be amazed that God is that big. But one time, it was like four nights ago, I was rocking my son to sleep, or I was failing to rock my son to sleep. He had what my wife has come to call the late night crazies. (laughs) Apparently, he's so tired that he acts like he drank like 13 Red Bulls. He is just squirming in my arms, and he's jumping, and he's screaming, and he's laughing because he's really happy. He's just, he's just bouncing and everything, and I'm trying to, you know, like, no, we're rocking. We're going to bed here. And, and then he just flips in my arms. He just flips on his back, and he stops, and he just looks at me. And this tiny person, this this son of mine just looks at me and I think how powerful God is. How powerful God is to be able to cram all of that awesomeness into this tiny person. You know, I am so small, but I apparently am capable of such big emotion. And I thought, you know, how often do we get stuck marveling at the bigness only to miss God's power at our own doorstep? You know, we do resonate with John Piper's words that the universe is not about man's significance, it's about God's. And God made man small and the universe so big to say something about himself. But what's so particularly cool is that he takes care to demonstrate his power even in our own lives. And don't don't we believe that? That if he can make the universe out of literally nothing at all, that he can make things happen even in our own lives? There's a story about a man named Dan who was doing some mission work in Israel, but he was, he was running out of money. And so one night, he decided, I'm just going to sleep on a park bench just to save money. And so he went to sleep on a park bench. And across the globe, 
his family, they're in different parts, they're not together, his brother, his uh, mother, and his father, all of a sudden just have Dan on their hearts, just weighing really heavy. And so um, they go to prayer. They believe prayer is powerful. And they just say, you know, God, I don't know why Dan is on my heart right now, but would you be with him? Would you, you know, envelop him with your power right now? And then Dan, back to Israel, is just getting super frustrated because all of a sudden, a dog and a chicken just start fighting under his bench, and he's trying to sleep. And so he tries to kind of break them up, but dogs love chicken. And, it, you know, you try to shoo them away, but it wasn't happening. And he's tired, so he gets up, and he's like, I'm just going to find a different bench. So he goes, and he finds a different bench. And that very same night, a bomb goes off under the bench that he was first laying under. And I think, I think of my own story, not nearly as, well, you know, it is as profound. My, my mom, um, well, my whole family, we had a cat named Smokey. We were just last night trying to figure out if it was a girl or a boy. My dad says a, a girl and my mom says a boy. So Smokey, which was a cat of some gender, <laughs> was our cat, and we, we, we loved this cat. But one day, the cat just quit showing up. You know, we lived in Mara Mesa, California at the time, and, you know, we didn't know where the cat went. We thought hopelessly, you know, maybe coyotes got it. Um, that's too bad. We went and we searched, and to no avail, the cat was gone. And uh, one day, um, me and my sister and my dad were walking back into the house, and my mom was already in there, and she saw us coming in, and she just... You know, she thought to herself, actually, she prayed to God. She said, you know, God, this is perfect. But you know what would be awesome is if we had Smokey back. And, and no sooner had she prayed it than behind uh, us, as we walked in, the, Smokey just walks in like, what up, I'm here. And... My dad didn't see it. I didn't see it. My sister didn't see it. No, the one who had first prayed it was the first to see it. God can do those small things for us. And, I, you know, I would, it would be wrong for me not to mention that God's power isn't always just a change of circumstance. Um, he can bring a wayward cat home and he can make dogs fight chickens under your bench if that's what he needs to do. Uh, but sometimes we don't, we don't stop with our struggles. It's, it's a peace, really. God's power can operate through peace, really. I mean, I, I think about really quickly uh, in Matthew 4.39 when it, the waves and the wind were coming over the boat that Jesus was in with the disciples and he was asleep, which that's pretty incredible that you can sleep through that. 
And he just gets up and he says, peace, be still. Or uh, in, we, in Psalm 46.10, he says something similar. He says, be still and know that I am God. But in Mark 5.34, uh, when Jesus heals a woman, he says, go in peace, your faith has healed you. Or in uh, 1 Corinthians 14.33, it says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. In Romans 15, 13, it says, may the God hope of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God demonstrates his power in our lives, not just through bringing chickens and dogs and wayward cats home, but also through giving us a peace that surpasses all understanding, even when outward circumstances would have us otherwise. But God also wants to have his power work through us. He wants us to be instruments of his power, which is kind of, I mean, it's kind of scary to think like God's gonna use me. I don't know that I'm up to it. Um, Which is why my second point is not that God uses our strengths, but is that God demonstrates his power through our weaknesses. I'm gonna do this again. So I'm at Costco, right? This is a good one. I'm at Costco, I'm working the returns. And Costco's known for its incredibly lenient return policy, I mean, You have people bring back their dirty used underwear, their dirty diapers. They'll bring a vacuum box full of rocks, but no vacuum. They'll bring a a bone from a freshly eaten ham or just the cork from a wine that they didn't like. Right? So I'm, I'm, I'm there and I call the next person. You know, I can help whoever's next. Costco's mild. And this guy in a, in a cart is wheeling this green garden hose, or it was at once green, I could tell, and it looked like it was found outside of a garage sale uh, in the garbage can 10 years ago. Um, It was ancient looking, but what's weird is that it, it still looked functional. I mean, it was super old, but it looked functional. And he, uh, he brings it up, and he hands me a receipt, and the receipt is super small, and it's on a paper uh, that we hadn't used for 15 years, and it's yellow, and I don't think it even could be red. He could have just been handing me a piece of paper. Um, and I, I grab it, and of course, lo and behold, it is 15 years old. And I ask him, I said, well, um, what's wrong with it? <laughs> and he says, well, he looks at me, he, and then he looks at the hose, it's supposed to never kink. And I look at the hose. There are no kinks in the hose. And I say, well, uh, did it? Did it kink? Very truly, this is the response. No. But I felt like it was gonna. <laughs> I mean, so... The reality is that people just like 
things that have no risk. And they buy at Costco because the risk is very, very minimal. If 15 years later you think that something might kink, you can just bring it back. The problem here is that we can't say the same thing about God's power in our own lives. There is a risk, and it is big. So Paul, who was having some sort of infirmity, and he's just really struggling with it, and when he brought it before the Lord, this is what God said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. He said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And so Paul continues to comment on that. He says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God didn't take away the weakness or the insults or the distress. His grace was sufficient. His power shines through weakness. And we always think of like the underdog story of, of David and Goliath. You have this child, David, who knows that there's this champion, Goliath, who's saying, you know, who's going to come and fight me? And he, David doesn't even fit into any armor, so he just takes his sling and he goes up and he says, who is this Philistine who comes against the living God? Wham! Knocks him out takes him down, finishes him off with his own sword. Happy ever after, right? Because God used David even in his weakness to do something really crazy and strong. But it, it wasn't an end for David. I mean, any childhood innocence he had, he'd certainly lost at that point. I mean, he was running in the wilderness, hiding in the wilderness from, from King Saul who wanted to kill him. And when he ascended to the throne, he had lots of struggles and, and made some mistakes as he tried to do what was right for Israel. In the Psalms, we have David saying exactly what Jesus said on the cross himself. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or we think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They wouldn't bow to Nebuchadnezzar's golden god. And so Nebuchadnezzar was like, shoot, then I'm just going to throw you in a fiery furnace. And this is, this is what they say in response. They say, they trust that, you know, they can't save themselves. They've got to rely on God's power. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from it, your majesty. Uh, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. Basically, we know God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to do what's right. 
Both instances are demonstrations of God's power. God's power to deliver you, or if he doesn't, the power to have peace anyways. And that's what they had. I mean, these stories are an incredible witness to God's power. Um, But we too can be witnesses to God's power. In Acts 1.8 it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So God will, will use his Holy Spirit to empower us to be witnesses, witnesses in our own communities or the communities abroad. Uh, through power, you really do have a glorious message to share, probably actually the greatest message to share. God is going to enable you. I mean, Ashley uh, heard this one time and she told it to me, uh, Ashley, my wife. She said, you know, God's commandments are his enablements. God's not gonna command you to do something you can't do. Even if you don't feel like you can, even if you feel like what you've got is insufficient, God's gonna enable you. And you gotta trust in that. And so if, if my last point was that God will demonstrate his power through our weakness, my last point is the most important point, that God demonstrates his power through salvation. This story, the connection you'll see, you'll see. So I went to a camp when I was young. It was a boys' camp. It was called Camp uh, Kareth. I think it was that, unless it was Camp Kareth, and I just had a lisp. Um, it is, okay, so it is. Um, see fact checks here. Um, it was called Camp Kareth, and every year at Camp Kareth, they did this activity where they would uh, drive you up in these 15-person vans up like a small mountain, and they put a tarp out, and you would sleep under the stars. And so we were, we were doing this. We were driving out there in our 15-person vans, and at one point they stop so that we can all eat. We get out, and they have boxes. They have pre-made sandwiches and juice boxes, and then they have these Lay's potato chips, these grab bags. <laughs> okay. So they had boxes of these Lay's potato chips, and a buddy of mine was there, and we... Um, decided to have a competition. And sometimes the competitive spirit can really lead you astray, but we're like, who can eat the most of these? I don't remember who ate the most. I don't remember how many ate, other than I ate far too many. And so we get up to the mountain, and we have activities, we do our stuff. Finally, we lay the tarp out, and we go to sleep. I'm in my sleeping bag. I'm kind of at the end of the tarp, and I have these sort of zombie moans. I'm like, I literally remember this. This is how I was sounding. It was, and then I kind of finally went, and I woke up, and I'm sitting up in my sleeping bag. I'm looking around, and everybody's asleep. And, you know, there is some sort of outhouse like a mile away. It's probably the size of a matchbox with no light. I'm thinking, no way. Can't do it. This has got to happen now. 
It's got to happen now. So look around, right? Everybody's sleeping. I get out of my sleeping bag, and I walk off the tarp a good distance, I thought. You know, I'm going, and I do it. I drop the pajama sweats, and I let nature have it right there. Swinging back up, and I'm gone. I go back to sleep. I go to bed. The problem is, as human beings, sometimes we have a tendency to roll into the consequences of our bad decisions. And uh, I literally did that. And so when I went back to Camp Carrot the next year, that became part of my identity. <laughs> it was like, you know, hey guys, Matt, remember me? Oh yeah, you're the guy who rolled in poo-poo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that is, is me. Yeah, yeah, you did the Tootsie Roll. Right? I, I was Mr. Sleeping Bag McPoopbottom. I was Dirty Diaper Boy. I was Hershey Kissed, literally. And sometimes sin can do that in our life. It can sort of mar our identity. It can make us feel pretty dirty, pretty gross, pretty nasty. But Jesus doesn't do that. We might feel really dirty and guilty and feel like all the things that we've done that, oh, you know, that's, it's part of who I am now. It's, it's, it's scarred me. But Christ offers us something great. There's a, there, I have a little bit of time. There's a story of a guy who uh, had a Rolls Royce, which is like top of the line, awesome, pricey vehicle, right? And he is driving down uh, a road, long stretch in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden the car just kind of chugs to a stop, and it won't start. He's like, oh, no. So he calls the dealer. And the dealer's like, okay, sure thing. We're going to send a mechanic out to you. And they do. They send a mechanic in a helicopter to his location. And the mechanic is like, you know, this is going to need some serious overhauls. And so he has all the parts get, you know, shipped to him ASAP. And the mechanic, you know, works diligently, fixes it, shakes the man's hand, gets in the helicopter and leaves. And, you know, the guy was like just seeing money signs just drain, like, oh my gosh, what this is, what's this going to cost me? And when he gets home, he checks the mail looking for an invoice, and he doesn't find one, so he's like, oh, I'll just call the dealer. And he calls the dealer and says, you know, hey, you know, I had that service. I'm just trying to figure out how much it's going to cost me. And the dealer's kind of confused. And he's like, oh. So he explains everything that happened. And the lady on the phone says, I'm sorry, sir. We don't have any record of that. And that is what Jesus does for us. If we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and we accept the cross, 
Our sins are nailed to it. And when we go to the throne before God and we might be thinking about our sins, God will say, I don't have any record of that. That is powerful. Paul says uh, about the cross 2,000 years ago. He says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross splits the world. You either look at the cross and think that's pathetic. A God who dies. Or you look at and think, God who dies for me. That's powerful. It's either pathetic or powerful. If you think it's pathetic, you're perishing. You're like milk that's gone bad. And eventually you will be thrown out. Or you look at it and say that's powerful and you are being saved by the power of God. And I think that the cross is the most powerful thing God has ever done for us. So, Jesus frees us so awesomely with the cross. And, you know, I, I hope that you need to hear at least one of these points, right? That maybe you just need to hear that God does marvelous acts even in your own life. That it's not just about God who creates the universe, but it's about God who works even in your own life, who can bring you peace, who can do the awesome, if you just believe it, if you just pray for it, the power of prayer, my mom would tell you, on your knees preferably. Um, or you need to hear that God will work through you through your weakness, that God's commandments are his enablements, that when you feel insufficient, like you're not able to do it, that, that God will empower you through the Holy Spirit if you just trust him. Or maybe you just need to hear the most important message of all. And that is that God loves you so much that even though he created all of the universe and everything in it, he was willing to step down from his throne and die for you and show his power by conquering sin and death. And all you need to do is believe it. Believe it. And those things that you feel like are part of your identity, he has no record of it. Will you pray with me? God, I just pray that we would pray for your power in our own lives, God that we would pray for big things to happen to small people, God. I pray that you would just work through our weaknesses, God, that we would learn 
to find peace through persecution in distress in hard times, God, that you would just empower us through your Holy Spirit, God, so that we won't be able to say, I did that. We'll be able to say, you did it through me. God, and I just pray that every day, every day of our lives, we would appreciate the power that you showed us on the cross by dying for us, by conquering sin and death, God. I pray that we would be able to look at things in our own lives and be able to say, God, you are powerful. We love you so much in your name. Amen.